Don't be ashamed to learn things that you need to know. Here's Sexplanations with Dr. Doe. Sexplanations podcast episode 79. This is where we talk about polycystic ovary syndrome or polycystic ovarian syndrome. And I have invited Riley to join me in this conversation because they have... PCOS, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I I'm do. glad we figured that out. Uh, how has that been for you? Um, complicated, I think is the most accurate word. Um, it's Ooh, okay. Before we get into okay. that, maybe you can say more about yourself because I think that you are not just PCOS, <laughs> and maybe there's some information that helps people understand why it's particularly um, complicated. Yeah, maybe, or just what your perspective is, yeah. right? Because um, if I have it or someone else has it, I mean, I posted on Twitter, hey, anybody want to talk to me about this? And you know, dozens of people have responded. Everybody's experiences are going to be a little different. And so maybe yours um, comes from things like, this is where I grew up and this is my relationship to my body. And here, here's what I like doing in my free time. And I have a dog, (laughs) you know, just so we can learn about you as a complete person. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I am trans mask. Um, my pronouns are they, them. Um, I am just an overall very like queer person. Um, (laughs) I like it. Yes. Um, there's no part of me that's not queer. Um, I'm a university student. So, and I'm kind of an academic at heart. So I've always loved learning and questioning and like figuring out why things are the way that they are. Um, and never really taking anything for granted. So that's kind of like how Mm. I approach things is like, you know, staying curious and like legitimately like being curious about everything um which definitely like plays a huge role in not only like who I am as like a complete person but like as a person with PCOS right um because it really was my own curiosity and my own like need to know about what was going on with my body um and why I was feeling the things that I was feeling and experiencing that like even began um to like push me towards like getting a diagnosis of polycystic ovarian syndrome, um, which is again, I like I said, complicated. Like it's further complicated by being a transmasculine person, um, which is yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, part of that is a lot of the, you know, we kind of know that like research around like reproductive health issues is already slim to none as it is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that is even more so the case when it's surrounding individuals such as myself who have a uterus and ovaries and a vagina and a cervix and fallopian tubes, but aren't women, um, because it complicates things. Um, s- such as, like, when we talk about polycystic ovarian syndrome, one of the things that, like, first comes up is an excess of androgen, right? The male hormone, insert a bunch of... You're using air quotes, yes. A a bunch (laughs) of bunny ears and air quotes. Um, And a bunch of... Meaning that that society has said 
there should be this amount of androgen in somebody assigned female at birth. Mm -hmm. And if that person is diverse, then we need to lower the amount or change the amount or alter their body in some way to monitor that level. Yes. So, um, for example, um, I, so I got my period very, very young. I was, um, nine years old. Um, and almost immediately I noticed that I had very long and heavy periods and extremely painful periods. Um, so long, um, my average would be 14 days, um, and heavy meaning, um, you know, I was nine, so I was using, I was using maxi pads. Um, I would go through, you know, like the overnight maxi pads. I would go through one of those every couple of hours. Um, Oh my goodness. Yeah. At like, at like nine. Right. And so that's obviously slightly concerning. Um, but my experience has been that nothing was really noted or done anything like nothing was done until um, it was noted that my androgen counts were quote-unquote too high, right? Until my doctors noticed that I had, quote, too high levels of testosterone for someone who was assigned female at birth, um, and that that needed to be fixed. They noticed that I had chin hair, that I had a happy trail, that I had um, some hair on my chest or more um, pubic hair than they thought like was quote unquote normal for someone of my age at this point, like 17, 18. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't until like those symptoms of the polycystic ovarian syndrome were noticed that um, anything was like even begun to like be investigated by my doctors all the while. Right. Like this is like, I got my diagnosis when I was uh, 18 Um, All the while, from nine, when I first had my first period, to when I turned 18, I was making comments about how much pain I was in, how my periods were really long and really heavy. Um, I told my doctor that the longest period I ever had was 60 days, um, and that that happened multiple times in my life. Um, But it wasn't until, like, these other things that would make me, like not normal um were noted that anything was like taken note of if that makes sense yeah um i mean (laughs) no it doesn't make sense and yes i hear you (laughs) yeah um and because your understanding of polycystic ovarian syndrome is that that condition itself was affecting your menstrual cycle to be so heavy and so long yes and your concern is that the medical field wasn't responding to that, that they waited until there were secondary symptoms like body hair or the um, hormone levels, et cetera, for them to be paying att- paying more attention to what you're saying as a patient. Yes. Um, I think just trying to like, I guess, reverse engineer it and figure out why, like why that was what it took to like be heard. Um, I feel like a lot of it comes from 
uh, I mean, plain misogyny, right? Of like, they saw what they saw was a 14, 15 year old girl who was being overdramatic about their periods, who was complaining a lot about their periods. Um, but because my doctors weren't able to feel my pain, because my doctors weren't able to day by day measure the amount of bleeding I was having, um, that was able to be written off. Whereas when they had, you know, for example, my androgen counts on a blood screen or when they could see my body hair, um, which is, I think it's called hirsutism or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yep. <laughs> hey, I know something. <laughs> yeah, um, you do. Good job. When they could see that and like, it didn't require me to like convey that to them, they found it more mm. valuable. They found it more concrete, if that makes sense. Um, I'm lucky in that. So they're, they're good at seeing, not hearing. <laughs> yeah. They're good at like identifying, uh, concrete examples of evidence, but when it's more, um, I guess objective, like pain levels, right. Um, that was not as heard. Which I'm sure has been really frustrating. Yes. Um, Especially when, so this is where also like my identity as like a trans masculine person comes in. Um, okay. For me, um, you know, we always talk about, um, at least in my experience, disorders, syndromes, um, whether they're of the physical health, mental health, or any combination of that, where we talk about it in terms of how much they impede our daily lives right like how much like how much it affects your your ability to live a life that you are happy with that you're content with um for me my pain the pain that i'm in when i'm on my period and when i'm even when i'm not when i have a cyst on my ovary um that is what most impacts my life and the bleeding my heavy bleeding impacts my life a lot um what doesn't is my body hair or my facial hair, um, both because um, I don't find it as like disruptive, or I guess I don't find it as disruptive because I'm a trans masked person, right? Like body hair for me is a good thing. It is that is gender euphoric for me. But when discussing polycystic ovarian syndrome with the vast majority of my doctors, um, that's been one of the things that they wanted to fix, right? Air quotes around that. Like, that's what they wanted to address um, instead of addressing the thing that actually impacted my life. Um, they wanted they wanted to lower my testosterone levels, my androgen levels, um, so that they could make my androgen levels, my hormone levels normal. Um, and that's kind of what it came down to is like, it f- always has felt like what they wanted or what they heard was that I wanted to be normal, but what I actually wanted was to not be in pain. Yeah. What I've actually wanted was to not like constantly be bleeding, you know, for 60 days straight or, you know, to have like cyst ruptures all of the time. 
Um, but because what they are, and a lot of it is like what they're taught, right? You know, we all like, yeah, you know, polycystic ovarian syndrome is talked about as like a women's reproductive health issue, right? And so, uh-huh. of course, like to them, it, it's no consideration that, of course, someone would be bothered by the excess facial hair. Of course, someone would be bothered by them having the testosterone levels of, you know, an intersex individual or um, someone who's quote unquote andro- like androgynous, which is what I've mm-hmm. been told. Um, of course, they would be bothered by that. But because of the lack of like inclusive education that our doctors receive, it's made things a lot more complicated for me. If that like makes any type of sense. <laughs> it does. I mean, yes, it's complicated. And I think that the distinction you're making is really simple. There's a difference between wanting to be in a, wanting to be without pain and wanting to be normal. And if society is putting all of its attention into normalizing things, one, they're not giving you what you actually want. And two, <laughs> um, they're doing harm because yeah. you've not, at, they're giving you something that you don't want. Yeah. 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 It, it feels, um, it feels really labor intensive, both physically and emotionally to have to like consistently explain why I don't want to be quote unquote normal. Um, Mm -hmm. why I don't want to go. So one of the medicines that is most commonly prescribed for, um, hirsutism is spironolactone. And I've had in my lifetime around four primary care doctors that have tried to prescribe me spironolactone. Um, as I said before, as a transmasculine person, I want my facial hair. Um, but each time I've had to continually like justify why I don't want to be put on that medicine. Um, is that medicine treating PCOS? So uh, we should probably yes, go back yes. and say PCOS, the, the, the pain is coming from having cysts on your ovaries. Yes poly meaning multiple cysts and so it can be excruciatingly painful and that is what you're asking to have treated so is the medication that they're prescribing to you treating that at all or is it just for the body hair or you don't know Um, so one of the things that makes it really complicated is we don't really know there's no known cause of polycystic ovarian syndrome um there's a Um, there's varied like theoretical causes, which makes it hard Mm -hmm. to treat, right? Because you don't exactly know what to treat. The spironolactone um, is just a a medicine for um, the hirsutism, the excess body and facial hair. Mm -hmm. The only thing, this is from my primary care doctor. I'm not a medical professional. (laughs) The only thing that currently is really used to treat cysts um, on ovaries is going on um, a type of birth control, primarily hormonal birth control. Um, Mm. Because the current medical thinking is that the cysts are likely caused by unstable hormone levels. And if you put someone on hormonal birth control, which keeps their hormones at a consistent expected level, 
that would like mediate some of the polycystic ovarian syndrome like symptoms. Um, but the medicine that, so, uh, it took me three years after, no, sorry, that's wrong. Um, I got diagnosed when I was 18. It took me, yeah, three years until I was 21 to get put on hormonal birth control of asking. What? (laughs) I know. Yes. Yes. Um, I was asking since I was 18 years old and diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome to be put on a hormonal birth control since they were saying that it was the only thing that would possibly help the pain and bleeding. What was the reason that it took three years? Um, my doctor wanted to try, um, another, uh, medicine called metformin, which is so the purpose of metformin is to moderate insulin levels, um, which is another, uh, I guess like effect of PCOS. Um, Mm. it's people with PCOS tend to have higher levels of insulin in their body, um, and have like a resistance to insulin. Um, and so what she wanted was she wanted to, put me on the metformin to try and see if for whatever reason that I was not even really sure of if that would um, help mediate some of the symptoms. Um, It did not. Um, And then I switched doctors um, and in the process of switching doctors, my new doctor wanted me to go have um, ultrasounds done, mm-hmm. both a pelvic u- ultrasound and a transvaginal ultrasound um, to assess if I had any cysts on my ovaries before they would begin treating me for polycystic ovarian syndrome, despite the fact that I had already been diagnosed by my previous primary care physician. Oh, and lots of hard work. Yeah. And it wasn't until I got to my new, my current primary care doctor that I was able to, like, get on a birth control that works for me. And I'm 22. Almost 23. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I am glad that you have found someone who hears you. Yeah, And me too. you feel like you have a treatment that's working for you. There, there's some happiness in your story. No, absolutely. Like I, you know, it took, like, I think there, there is like, I now have a primary care physician who has put me on specifically put me on a low hormone birth control because she understands that I don't want to be flooding my body with estrogen slash like other feminizing hormones quotes there. Um, and did not question me when I said that I did not want to put on spinolactone. Um, so like my, and, and speaking about this, like my, my intent is not to say that like all medical professionals are, um, <laughs> uh, difficult to navigate or, um, aren't hearing right, right. patients. It, they definitely are. Um, mm-hmm. it's just a combination of how much we, I think how much we don't know about PCOS, right. And how, yeah. Um, difficult to measure the symptoms are because it is difficult to to measure 
with any type of certainty, like someone's pain levels. Right. Yeah. Um, and like, oftentimes that is the first thing you notice, at least in my experience and in other friends who have PCOS, like the first thing is just, you notice how much pain you're in, but that's hard to convey sometimes. Is that pain during ovulation or all of Yes. The month during menstruation. Yes. <laughs> yes. It is all the pain. <laughs> um, yeah. If, if you were to ask my friends the, the, the first about my pain, the first thing that they would say is that Riley is always in pain. Um, even after being on birth control. Um, I have, so I experience, I guess, like the more general ovulation pain, the uh, middle schmerz. Or however you say mm-hmm. it. Yeah, um, I, I'm terrible at pronouncing it, <laughs> it's too. It's you know, it's a German word. Those German <gasps> yes. words are fun to pronounce. I think it's like square. It's it mitel schmertz, but the schmertz is supposed to be like square squirt. I don't know. I know. I try. I had a friend of mine who is German train me on it you know and uh i didn't succeed in remembering but continue I have yes many so the middle pain pronunciation is not one of them <laughs> <laughs> um so i have i guess like your more standard ovulation pains um but all throughout the month i have um just like chronic pelvic pain um hmm. Like throughout, like my lower back, all the way, like it wraps around to the front of my body, um, around my hips and my, uh, and into my interior, like my inner thighs, um, and like particularly around my uterus and like ovaries in that area. Um, during my periods, um, it is a mix of intense aching and like throbbing. Mm-hmm. And like sharpshooting pains along with cramps. So this question isn't meant to be leading. It's meant to be empathic. Yes. Uh, what is the reason that you don't just like cut it all out? I want to, but I'm not allowed to. I've asked. I'm too young. I'm not married. I don't have kids. What would my husband say? My insurance won't cover it. It's really, really hard to get a hysterectomy. If you're not like in your 40s with kids and married or unless something is like in pain, you're in pain. I am. Um, I am. Yeah. (laughs) Of all the reasons. Um, It would it would take something like currently with my insurance and the way that the medical system works, it would take me having like cancer or like end stage endometriosis for me to be able to get a hysterectomy this young. There is a possibility as a trans masculine person, if I were able to access um, incredibly inclusive insurance plans that like cover trans uh, transgender related um, like, okay. uh, like gender affirmational surgeries mm-hmm. um that it could possibly be covered, but that's a whole nother thing, right? Where I would have to get letters and be on testosterone and I would have to go to psychiatrists and therapists and all of that. Um, so to answer your question, I, I want to, I, I don't want to live my entire life in pain. Um, 
but there are medical professionals get to decide whether or not I have that surgery. And currently the answer is no. Wow. So you are in Michigan. Yes. Right now I am in Utah (laughs) and we're corresponding via Skype. I can see your face and it's moments like these that I wish there is a video component to this podcast. It's just yeah, um, very powerful how patient you are being with your circumstances and how, I don't know, you carry on your face that you're being brave. You're saying, like, I am going to endure uh, some of this and... I'm going to try. It's not like you've just given up, but yeah, your, your face is beautiful right now. <laughs> Thank I you. I just want to tell you that I see you. Thank you. It's hard. It's really hard. Um, Cause of course on, on, on top of just the pain that I'm in, right. There's also as, as a trans person, there's my gender dysphoria, right. And, and the mental mm-hmm. pain that that is, um, it yeah, it's really hard to know with everything you have that that is something that you not just want but need, um, and then continually being told that it's not an option, or that you don't know what you need, or that you should give it time. Um, it's really hard. Yeah, I'm gonna try and hook you up with resources. Okay, I would appreciate <laughs> it. I'm like this is shit. <laughs> it is shit. There's gonna be solutions. <laughs> Uh, because I mean I, I'm much older than you, I, so I have endured not that much. longer, but not the same <laughs> amount of, of pain. I remember being in my 20s and experiencing an ovarian cyst. I thought that I was having that my appendix was exploding, yeah. and so I took myself to the emergency room, and they're doing all these scans and pelvic exams, and like, oh, you just have a cyst. Just assist, like your body will absorb it, and all is well. Going, go back to life. Just a tiny little cyst. Yeah, yeah. And then to imagine how uh, people have so many more of those little demons in their (laughs) ovaries coming out, and yeah, or larger ones. I think the first time that I heard about this, I was actually a teacher, and I was teaching a. Uh, personal health and wellness class. And my students were each assigned to to do a project about a topic of their choice. And this one woman, I think she was talking about PCOS, but she was describing how as a result of growths on her ovaries that were the size of a grapefruit, Mm -hmm. that she would not be able to have children and how much stress she was under to like essentially acknowledge that if she didn't find a partner to impregnate her within the next year, she was not going to self-actualize in the way that she had hoped to as a mother. And that was, oh, I don't know, two decades ago. Then I experienced my own pain. And I just like those experiences together of, of other people going through so much more horrific abdominal aches yeah. and then having like my mini emergency room experiences. I just... I have so much empathy and compassion for people and, oh, God, meant to not even know what's happening. 
right? Yeah. Like, yeah, we can treat you. We can't cure you. We don't know, know exactly what causes it. And there are all these secondary symptoms as well that you're going to have to figure out. And by the way, a ton of people have this, but you wouldn't know it because we don't talk about it because we don't teach about it. <laughs> yeah, it's... Aww. I remember, um, I think the first time I ever had um, a cyst rupture, I was, I think... 11 or 12. Um, ah. <laughs> I was a baby. I was a child. Yeah, and you're probably not getting sex ed no. when you're bleeding um, out multiple overnight pads. <laughs> yeah, I was, I remember being in my mother's car and just feeling like, um, it's a slightly graphic, so warning for that. But the only way I can describe it is like a searing hot knife going from my uterus down through my vagina over and over and over and over for hours. Um, That was the rupture? It was the rupture and then like the resulting. So part of like my body, I don't know if other people have this, um, but when I'm experiencing a rupture, um, other parts of my body also like react in pain. So the rupture itself mm. is the very sharp shooting, searing pain. But then I also have like the aching throbbing of my muscles that mm-hmm. kick in. So it was all of that at once. And I was like 12. And I know I. Your whole body was just pissed off. I had no idea what was going on. I was sobbing i was so confused um and i don't even think my mother didn't know what was going on you know so she called my doctor and my doctor was like oh it was probably cyst rupture just give her some fluids and and send her to bed obviously misgendering me um but yeah it's i <laughs> it it is intense. And the thing is because we don't talk about it because one we're not educated broadly in the matters of reproductive health, but more specifically in what polycystic ovarian syndrome is or what cyst ruptures are. Um it becomes something that's really difficult to talk about in like daily life as well, right? Um so if I'm experiencing a lot of um, PCOS pain, that which I I, I frequently do, <laughs> um, that becomes really difficult to talk about. It becomes really difficult to communicate in a way that like allows me to be a functional adult, which I want to be. You know, I would like to be a functional yeah. adult. Um, <laughs> so I appreciate your empathy so much. It's I think that these conversations are really necessary. Like they're so vital um, to, to broadening our, our scope of understanding. Um, But even just like understanding in like an emotional sense, because yeah, like it's not between you or me to figure out like the causes of PCOS or possible treatments but it is between people like you and me where understanding can be fostered and mm-hmm. where like just care and kindness 
can like exist so that when people like me are in a lot of pain, it's not this like either shameful discussion or dismissive discussion. Right. Cause that yeah. happens too. Mm. Want to hear a happy story? Absolutely. I love happy stories. So when I was getting ready to do the episode on Sexplanation's YouTube channel for PCOS, um, I was also doing like a house cleaning and I had the outfit that I wore in the uh, Vagina's Neighborhood, the vulva video. It was like, I don't know, video number six on Sexplanations. It's where I was wearing a hoodie and then a puffy mm-hmm. vest and I had my body be a vulva. And I think it was the first time that a lot of people had ever seen that happen. Yeah. And so the video went viral and the, the outfit is very iconic Dr. Doe. So I'm doing this house cleaning and I decided that I was going to auction off the, the little get up and we were going to give the money to a PCOS. I think it was either a PCOS research institute or something that would support learning more about it and education around it. And these really cool people bought the the vulva outfit and their money went off to PCOS. I don't, I don't know, like PCOS research, PCOS. Sure. Make it better land. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Make it Charity. better, please, for the love of God. <laughs> right? I feel like that's a happy story. No, it is. And, and like... I I want to reiterate, like, people with PCOS can, like, absolutely live completely full lives, right? And, like, it is not, like, yes, there are sometimes, like, the individual that you talked about with um, infertility issues, like, yes, like, PCOS can lead to infertility issues, but it doesn't, like, it, it doesn't mean that, like, we can't have full lives, and... The thing that makes life's most difficult for us, in my experience, is when we aren't listened to, right? Or when, like, our experiences and our um, voice isn't heard and isn't amplified. Because once that happens, you know, like, once once I was heard by my doctor, um, things became phenomenally easier for me, right? Mm. Um, I'm not pain-free, I don't, um, it's really, it it is kind of sad, but like, um, I don't have much hope of like being completely pain-free, um, barring if I'm able to to get a hysterectomy. Um, but I have significantly less pain, um, than I did. I have significantly fewer cyst ruptures. Um, and there's also just like the mental and emotional labor of having people around me that validate what I go through that validate that this is something that I deal with and that is part of my life. Right. And so like the happiest part of this is like the community that I've gotten of fantastic people. And now finally really good medical care that value like my voice as someone with PCOS. Like that is a very happy aspect of my life now. Um, you have a really cool, unique social group too. Oh, I mean, totally. So met you in person, and we've had breakfast multiple times. Yes, and I think that the reason why I was so excited to talk with you 
it really didn't have anything to do with the uniqueness of um, you being trans mask. It was more like, hey, we we've hung out. And you know what's <laughs> really interesting is like your friend group, so many people in it have PCOS. Like that was one of the breakfast conversations. Yeah. And I had never been around people who openly talked about it and then to have to talk with each other about their experiences and compare and contrast. Like what? Yeah. That is a thing? Yeah. Um at least two of my like best friends have PCOS. Um, wow. one of them is still like experiencing a lot of difficulties with obtaining a diagnosis and like mm-hmm. obtaining the appropriate um medical care as a result. But at least two of my best friends have PCOS, and then three of my other like more outward friends also have PCOS. So, Whoa. Yeah, so many of my friends. Um, and then, yeah, also there are others that also just have like other reproductive health issues. So I am very fortunate. I have, you're right, I have like the most amazing like community around me. Um, and I have, I have a friend, speaking of like um, my hope of like getting a hysterectomy, um, I have a friend, he's a, he's a mutual friend of ours who hmm. is only a couple of years older than me and has gotten a hysterectomy. Um, and that alone, like gives me a lot of hope for being able to like have a life that is pain-free and have a life yeah. in which like I, I get to just exist like as I am without like having to navigate these really tough um, circumstances sometimes. So I do have the most amazing community around me. You are right. You are very right. (laughs) Yeah. They're pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. And breakfast was delicious too. Oh yeah. Real good. Always really good. Uh, So I looked up how common PCOS is and um, it is gendered, right? Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. So between 5 to 10% of people who have ovaries um, and are childbearing age in the United States. Yeah. And then says it makes it one of the most common hormonal endocrine disorders in women. Yes. Yeah. Oh, gosh. So many people. So common. So many people, people have don't it. talk about it. Yeah. It is so common. Like, it should not be an anomaly that so many of the people around me have PCOS, right? Like, right. And like, I would, I would hazard a guess that it isn't. People just aren't diagnosed, right? Like I only obtained my diagnosis through years of persistence and being mildly, sometimes afraid, but mildly unafraid of switching doctors. That's not an option for a lot of people, right? No. Well, and I would add to that. It sounds like you're really familiar with your body Mm -hmm. and not everyone is maybe given that privilege or uh, has done that work to know, oh gosh, this is not okay. What I'm experiencing needs help or attention or is abnormal. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Gosh. I was thinking when um, I did the Twitter ask about who could talk with me. Yeah. Cause I reached out to our mutual friend and I said, Hey, Hey, 
do any do any of the the people there want to talk to me? And um, we didn't initially get that going. And then you connected with me through that Twitter poll. But I was thinking, gosh, you could do an entire podcast mm -hmm. around PCOS. Like it doesn't even have to be one episode of Sexplanations. It could all be PCOS, talking with people about their experiences. Yeah. And it would do such good for the world because so many people have it. Yeah. And so many people have it and don't realize it. And they need to talk and they need to be heard. And those who don't have it need to understand. Yeah. There you go. I just gave you work to do. <laughs> no, honestly, like there are so many times where I sit and I think like how privileged and lucky I am that I was able to obtain the education that I did. Right. And and some of it was like self sought. Right. You know, mm -hmm. I, I spoke earlier about like being a very academic person who's very curious but also part of it's being around people who also had PCOS and who were also very adamant that I recognized that what I was going through needed help and needed attention. Um, and I recognize that a lot of people don't and might not have that. And so I do count myself very privileged in that way. Um, and yes, I, I think an entire podcast <laughs> could be done. Um, <laughs> An entire just show of any sort of media would be useful because it is so common yet so undiscussed. Yeah. Let us know in the comments what we should name the PCOS <laughs> podcast. I'll just add that to the grad school homework. Yes. Do it. <laughs> Good Lord. Uh, Want to do kegels with me? Yes. Main squeeze, squeeze it do you have a particular style that you enjoy? No? Question mark? <laughs> <laughs> I usually just squeeze. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Does does that cause you any pain? Um, no, it does not. Does it relieve any pain? Um, sometimes. Riley, does orgasm help? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Orgasms hey, definitely doctor, help. Where was that treatment prescribed? <laughs> Come frequently, right? Just as many orgasms as possible. <laughs> yeah, and then you'll have a different kind of pain and exhaustion. <sighs> okay, here we go. Let's try them. Um, maybe instead of clenching, pushing. Okay. The visual that just came out of my mind is so disturbing. <laughs> I just imagined being a pinball machine and my ovaries are like tiny little machine guns that are pushing out these like cyst bubbles or uh, they're like dipping dots. Just dipping dots of pain and terror. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Get little, out. Little demon dipping dots. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, every time I say PCOS, I always think of POS, like piece of shit. Well, they do PC, POSC, piece of shit car. Do you know that song? No, I'm sorry. Oh. I don't. Okay. That's what I think. I, I do yeah. think that we should just shorten it to POS because it, is a, shit? because it is a piece of shit. Maybe there's got to be some upside to it. Stay curious, folks. <laughs> Let's figure out the upside to this uh, affliction. <laughs>
and remove all <laughs> negative symptoms. Hit me up if you if you have any sage words of wisdom for me. Yeah. Oh gosh. Okay. So turn yourself. We're gonna do kegels. Turn yourself into a pinball machine, and we are going to push on the PC, the pubococcygeus muscles in the pelvic flooring. Just push and imagine shooting out little whatever they are from your body. Remove the demon vessels. Okay? Okay. And I will do like a bunch because poly, we're talking about polycysts. We're going to do 21 of them. Okay. And I'm just going to count to 21 and you're just going to like like a little gun, like get them out. Okay. But kegel style, like working the muscles. People are already doing them. I know they're like already (laughs) clenching and they're on edge and they're ready to pull the trigger. Okay, here we go. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. That was fun. I like that. It's always like mm. one of my favorite parts. I I listen regularly to the podcast. I always oh, thank you. Yes, of course. I always always love the parts of like doing kegels. I don't know why. They're so helpful. Yeah. When we weren't doing the podcast for those months or whatever mm-hmm. that I was on tour, my vagina got so lazy. <laughs> It's so nice to have that regular exercise. Oh, so good. Anyway, all right. So last thing, sextra credit. Do you have any assignments you want to give the audience? Now you can practice at home. Dr. Doe gives you sextra credit. Oh, man. I was thinking about this. Um, I think if we're talking about just how much we need to learn about, like, the multivaried voices and experiences of people with PCOS. Mm -hmm. I think I would really appreciate it if listeners would make a concerted effort to um, seek out like people with PCOS and like listening to their, their stories and their experiences. I'm not entirely sure how to like, in what way would be like the most educational, but something like that. Like, hey, Facebook friends, do any of you have PCOS and are willing to talk to me about it? Yeah. I want to learn. I want to learn what it's like for you. Yeah. And if not, like if no one in your circle or in, you know, your sphere of influence has PCOS, then going to YouTube and like searching for it and, you know, like going, you know, using Google wisely Mm -hmm. and just like, (laughs) Like (laughs) you know, Google's free, but be mindful and just like trying to just take an idea in a diverse source of uh, PCOS voices. I really like that. Start a podcast too, if you'd like. If you have the Share equipment the necessary. With others. <laughs> <laughs> and the time. Yeah. Okay. So, homework is you get extra credit for hearing someone's experiences of PCOS. Listening for listening actively, actively listening and putting in the comments your name recommendations for the PCOS podcast. Maybe that's what it's called. It's called <laughs> PCOS podcast. Why are we making it confusing? We just want you to know what it is and listen. 
Oh, goodness. Yeah. So many cool things to do in this world, in this lifetime. It's a shame. Somebody take this it's on. It's a shame Please, we only Riley. have, like, so, many, so much time. Yeah. Well, use it wisely, right? <laughs> I mean, that's also kind of your thing, isn't it? Like, coming up with the ideas and then handing it off to people to execute. It is. <laughs> How did you know that was my thing? Because we've talked, you've talked about it with our mutual friend. <laughs> that Lindsay Doe, she's a real starter without finish. <laughs> no, it's never been like that. It's never been that conversation. She, well, no, I don't even mean it as a bad thing for myself. But I mean, yes, I'm, mostly our mutual friend. It was always, hey, we fit really well together because Lindsay really likes to create ideas, and I really like to see them through. Yeah. 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 I agree. We need all of those people. Yeah, we need all all the different types. Make the world go round. Yes. Riley, you have been an awesome guest on this Explanations podcast. Thanks for hanging out with me. Thank you for having me. It has been a pleasure and an honor. Mm, good. You've done it. You've done well. I also want to thank the Patreon bosses at patreon.com slash explanations podcast, Ben Trammell, Zip Wah, Donna Flint, and the Millers. This is all for all of us, for all of our learning, and Cora and Parl, I'm still learning. <laughs>